Welcome back, everyone, to the Cross the Crown podcast. Josh Copen, joined by Doug Gooden, our humble expert. And uh, both of those words are said loosely. No, we're glad <laughs> to have you here listening to us today. We kn- you just can't get enough of Doug. You've got the daily Bible study every morning. He's going through Ecclesiastes. We encourage you to check that out on the YouTube. And uh, we thank you, Doug, for doing that. And the podcast, in case people are like, what's the difference? Well, Doug, in the Bible study, right, you're going through a little exegetical verse by verse, line by line of one of the books of the Bible. Right now it's Ecclesiastes. We're here. We kind of take a topic. Sometimes it's an exegetical issue, and we just kind of break it down. Like today we're going to look at the law in Romans. We're going to kind of start a mini-series on that and how that flows into, uh, which I actually believe Doug is correct for once, on his view of Romans (laughs) 7. And so we're going to get into that discussion as well. But so today we're going to talk about the law. But just want to encourage people, Doug, every morning, if they want to, first of all, subscribe to YouTube, because then you'll get the notifications that it's happening. Subscribe, notifications, bell, all that. But if they subscribe to YouTube and you're doing this Bible study, what what can they see and what's going on? Yeah, as you said, we're going through Ecclesiastes verse by verse. Uh, tomorrow we'll hit uh, Friday, we'll hit... Uh chapter three, depending on when you listen to this. Um, and the idea there is just, I want to help people really know the word and also uh, learn how to study it for themselves. So uh, we do it at 7.30 a.m. Mountain Time. If you want to grab a cup of coffee and do your devotions with me, that's uh, I'd love to have you there and, and I'll interact with questions on the chat and that kind of thing. But yeah, it's just a verse-by-verse Bible study, really kind of casual and, and walking through the text. And like you said, uh, it is live, but they don't miss it if they uh, aren't able to catch it live because it's uploaded every day in podcast form and it stays on YouTube. And uh, now our podcasts on YouTube come with freshly made thumbnails. So those are fun, too. But with the we've added uh, some, as you can see, we've added some scripture to it and some graphics. And we're a big deal now. Joe Rogan has nothing on us. So bring it on. Um <laughs> And we'll, we'll talk more about that as we get through. But Romans 5, what brought this on was we were dealing with William Lane Craig's view of Adam and the historical Adam. And so we went to the importance of the original sin and how important that is, that is, impute, is imputed us from Adam, right? We get sin because Adam sinned. All in from conception have sin because Adam sinned. And then we were reading through uh, Romans 5, like starting in verse 12, And then there's a passage there where it deals with law. And so I wanted to ask what law, from a new covenant perspective, you and I would say the Ten Commandments, the eternal moral law of God, was not in place in the garden, as a covenant theologian would make. Um, However, there is a passage that says um, there uh, sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. So. Adam had to be under law of some kind. So what law are we talking about in the context of Rome 5? Do you just want to read through that, starting in verse 12, and break that down? Yeah, let's do that, because the uh, to get back to, uh, as you said, the reason we're even doing this is we, in our last podcast, we interacted with uh, Dr. William Lane Craig's latest book. Uh, I believe it's called The Quest for the Historical Adam, something along those lines. We'll and link he, to it if people want to yeah, see yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And he, he teaches that there is a there was a true historical Adam, but that that Adam lived somewhere between 750,000 and a million years ago. And one of the implications of his view is that Adam's sin is not the cause of our sin and death. Now, he addressed that a little bit in the video uh, that I that is online that I linked to in the last podcast, um, and I haven't read his book. It wasn't out when uh, when I had seen the interview he did with Sean McDowell. But um, anyway, we're going to leave him. You, you can everybody can re- reference that video if they want to see our critique of his presentation. But this is really important, and so I want to look at Romans five twelve and following to show how Adam's sin brought about death and our death. And then that'll lead into the question you're asking about the law, which will lead us into in the uh, next week or two, uh, as we look towards Romans seven, little teaser there. So yeah, Romans five twelve says Bible's this. Bible's up. Exactly. Get your swords out. <laughs> Therefore, now he's just been talking about how uh, 
Christ died while we were still sinners. God loved us while we were still sinners. The end of 11, he says here, uh, we exult, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ because we've received reconciliation. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all men sinned, dash. Now you're using the slightly less inspired version. I think you have the uh, HCJBQ. What, what what version are you reading these days? This is not a pronoun Bible. I don't know why you would do this. Is the CSB? <laughs> CSC. Those are those are uh, abbreviations. Okay. Uh, does yours have a dash at the end of verse twelve? No, it has a little footnote or have sinned. That is it. It's all it okay. Has. Yeah. And what is the first word of verse thirteen? Uh, well, it's a. It's kind of a conjoined word, in fact. Okay. So uh, the the New American-inspired version uh, has a dash at the end of verse 12. And the reason for that is Paul here is beginning a comparison between Adam and Jesus. So he's describing Adam just as through this one man, and he goes on to explain what happened because of the one man, he intends to say, also through one man, Jesus, and give us the positive side. But like any good preacher, he kind of goes off on a rabbit trail here for a few verses. If you skip down to verse 18, you see he does finally complete his comparison. So then as through one transgression, the resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness, that's the work of Jesus, verse 19, as through the one man's disobedience, that's Adam, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one Jesus, the many will be made righteous. So he has a little excursus here at the uh, end of verse 12 where he makes a, a related point, and that's getting to the, uh, the key question you're asking. All right, so let's walk through verse 12. Therefore, just as, uh, that introduces a comparison, right? As, if you say uh, Josh runs as a deer, we're not saying Josh is a deer, we're saying he runs as fast in comparison to the speed of a deer. Not true, but I appreciate <laughs> Josh can run. So therefore, just as a comparison, through one, uh, one man, sin entered into the world. The one man there obviously is Adam. Through Adam, sin entered the world. He's got in mind, Genesis chapter 3, Adam sinned. Now, what's, what's interesting about that chronologically? In fact, uh, spread to all people because... Well, no, the, just go back to the one man. Through mm -hmm. one man, sin entered the world. Is that true? Yes, it's Adam. Okay. Did okay. Adam sin first? Well, I mean... So here's the argument you're going to get me into, <laughs> and it's a rabbit trail. But my answer is yes, because he allowed his wife to do it. He was standing oh. right there. Fascinating. So you're going to argue the abdication was the first sin, even though the Bible doesn't say that. Well, well yeah. nevertheless, I mean, it's a fair yeah. argument to make. I just... It is a fair argument. Yeah. But as it's laid out, right, as the story reads, the sin is Eve because yeah. the command is don't eat of that fruit. That's the one command that they had. And she ate it first and gave it to him. So it's important here. Uh, and yes, you know where I'm going. And I believe you agree with where I'm going, even yes. if you're going to argue... Uh, that way. Uh, you could say the first sin was committed by the woman, but Paul here is setting up a representative government, if you will. I think we may have talked about this in the last podcast. Uh, just like if, if the U.S. Congress declares war on a nation, we, you and I, are at war with that other nation because our representatives declared war. Right. Same kind of thing is going on here. Adam is a representative of humanity. So it's not Eve who's the representative, it's Adam. So he can say, through one man, sin entered into the world. Then he adds the next statement, and death through sin. So Adam sinned, that brought death. What, uh, how do we know that that brought death? Where's the first, obviously um, I'm fishing for something here. Can, can Paul prove his point from scripture about death? Well, I mean, if you're talking like literal physical death, they didn't die right away, right? They were removed from 
the garden, their presence from God was removed. And that is death, if you will, um, to us from a spiritual standpoint. But, uh, you know, the first death that we know of in the Bible is, you know, Cain and Abel. So that mm-hmm. the murder that, that took place. Right. Yeah. And again, this is what I what I do. I want to pull something out of you. And you're like, where's he going with this? Yeah. Uh, the, the command to Adam and Eve, the command to Adam came with a warning, right? On the day you eat of it, what will happen? You will surely die. You will die. Yeah, and you're right. He didn't die right away. But I believe that's because God was showing mercy to him. Uh, Some living thing did die that day. What was it? Living thing? Mm -hmm. Should I go back and look? Uh, I feel like I'm not missing anything with what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Put your thinking caps on, everybody. The snake... The <laughs> snake uh, didn't die. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, living thing. Well, that fruit died. The fruit that was taken off the tree would have died. Right? Okay. I mean, once it's removed from the tree, it's no longer got its life source. Adam so, killed the fruit. So yeah, the fruit keep thinking. Dead. So God shows oh, he up. He killed an animal and uh, clothed them. Yes. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. No, no, that's good. So yeah. think about that, right? That's So they covered themselves with leaves. And God says, that's not good enough. I'm going to cover you with animal skins. Well, obviously you get animal skins from animals. Right. And so we can assume there that God killed an animal to cover their nakedness. Now, extra bonus points here. Though the Bible doesn't tell us what kind of animal it was, what would you put your money on? As an animal whose death covered our sin and shame. A lamb. I would go for a lamb. Now, we can't prove that. That's speculation. But that's what would make most sense to me. So I believe that God meant it when he said to Adam, on the day you eat of it, you shall die. And he meant physical death as well as spiritual death. But he meant there most most, uh, literally, he meant physical death. Why didn't Adam die? Because a substitute, an animal died in his place and covered him which is a type of the animal, the, the sacrifices that would take place during the Old Covenant, which ultimately pointed to Jesus being the Lamb of God. That's what I think is going on there. So uh, back to Romans 5 here. Through, uh, through the one man sent into the world and death through sin. So Adam died and now everyone since Adam dies. That's what he says. One, one man, through one man sent into the world and death entered through sin and so, all right, I know you've been uh, out of Greek one here for a few mm-hmm. months, but hutos, remember what hutos means? Uh, where would that be? So in death. <laughs> you're, trying to, you're trying to read the English and figure it out. Yeah. Hutos uh, trying, in the well, Greek. So, uh, if I actually saw the... Um, uh, it means... Not, go ahead. Not, it's not in order to... No, close. In this way or in, in this, this way, manner. Right. We did this last yeah. week. I always struggled yeah. with that one. I could <laughs> never get a good way. mnemonic device for that one. That was <laughs> Maybe if I shame you enough and embarrass you yes. in front of all, all the people watching, you'll uh, you'll get it. So, hutos. In uh, this way, death spread to all men. That's, that's important. Death came through sin. And in this way, through sin... Death spread to all men. Why? Because all sinned. Is that what your uh, CSB says? Yes. Because? Mm-hmm. It can be translated in whom or in which, which would still be referring back to Adam, but most modern scholars take the, the causal word. So I know I'm going over this again. I think I went over it a lot last week, but it's just so important to see what he's doing, what he's doing here. Through Adam, sin entered the world. Death entered in through his sin, and in this way, death spread to all men because all men sinned. But you and I didn't exist yet, so how could we sin? Because we sinned in Adam. And that's where he's going to go on and make the point, verses 18 and 19, in Adam we're condemned, in Jesus we are justified. But he anticipates the question that somebody's going to ask, prove it. Prove that our death, the fact that you and I are going to die, prove that that is true because of Adam's sin, not because of our own sin. And that leads into the next couple of verses of discussion about the law. So verse 13, for 
until the law, sin was in the world. That's the Mosaic Law. Mosaic Law came around 1500 BC. We don't know exactly when Adam lived, um, but if you, you know, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 BC, somewhere in there. Um, So for a long time, hundreds if not thousands of years, uh, sin was in the world, but the law didn't exist yet. God had not given the law on Sinai, but sin was in the world. But the end of verse 13 says, sin is not imputed where there is no law. What word does uh, CSB there say for imputed? Does it say imputed? It says charged to a person's charged. account. It's a whole phrase. So, Yeah, same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, same idea. So what he's saying here is there's no Mosaic law for people to have broken. And we know the Mosaic law condemned uh, lawbreakers. And, and so since there was no law, then sin is not put to their account. So why would they die? Now, we have to, he's making a point here. Um, he said something similar in chapter 4 of Romans. Uh, verse 15, he says, For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is no violation. Right? So if, if there's no clear instruction and commandment against this, then, then you're not violating a law that doesn't exist. Right? Pretty simple logic. It feels a little bit like uh, ignorance of the law is no excuse. I don't know why, but I'm kind of picturing that. Like, you go, Judge, hey, Judge, I didn't know that was a law. The judge is like, well, that doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. You're going well, to jail. Uh, and that's true. That's why I say we, we need to be careful here. He's making a point. Mm-hmm. He's not making the only point there is to make. From another perspective, yes, e- even in our uh, jurisprudence, if you don't know the law, you're still found guilty of it. You still get charged or whatever. But follow him as far as he's going. Okay. Uh, he's just making the point that you're not guilty of breaking a law that doesn't exist. Doesn't mean you're not guilty of breaking any law. Mm-hmm. But if the law doesn't exist, you're not guilty right, that of is different. Yeah, you're right. breaking it, right? All right, so back to Romans 5. For until law, the law, there was uh, sin in the world, but sin is not imputed when there was no law. Nevertheless, verse 14... Death reigned from Adam until Moses. So all those people, Methuselah and Abraham and all the tribes of Israel, they they all died between Adam and Moses. Even, so death reigned even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. So here he's drawing comparison between Adam and Moses. Adam was given a specific command, don't eat of that tree. He broke that command. Moses delivered the entire Old Covenant law, and everyone who broke that law in Israel was found guilty of breaking that law, and they were condemned. In between those two, there was no specific law that men were given, and yet they died, all of them, with one exception. Remember who the one exception was? Enoch. Yeah, and that's mysterious, right? That is, that's crazy to think about. What a great way to go, though, right? Like, just to be, like, what happened to Josh? He was not. Did he die? No, he's just not. I don't know. 1981, too, he was not. I got nothing. He's not. Exactly. That's the way I want to go. But it's not likely. He and Elijah are the exceptions to the rule. Uh, But everybody else in that whole period, from Adam to Moses, they died, even though they didn't have a law that they were breaking that would condemn them. And notice the last phrase of verse 14. What's the last phrase in the uh, CSB there? He is a type of the coming one. Right. What's a type? It's a, it's a, it's a, an, uh, it's like a, a copy of something or it's close to be something, right? Like, eh, that's a, that's a type of fruit. It's not a fruit. It's not specifically the number one fruit, but it's a type of fruit or something like that, right? Like all analogies break down, but like, yeah, this yeah. is a type uh, of coffee cup. And this is a Niagara Falls cup before anyone starts criticizing me. <laughs> yeah. Actually, in the biblical usage, that that you just held up there is not a type of coffee cup. It is an actual coffee cup. See, this is the problem with language. Uh, we use the word type. Uh, this is a type of fruit if I'm holding up an apple. Right. Well, I was trying but, but, to think biblically, but I'm like, in the Old Testament, you have all these types of Christ. 
Adam, yes. Abraham, you know, Joseph, Noah, etc. You know, I'm out of order there, but you know what I mean? Like they're Moses. They are all, t- even Elijah, types of Christ, right? So, yes. Yeah. They're pictures. Mm-hmm. They're, they're previews. They're, they're stories or characters or events or, or um, like the temple. They're artifacts or, or structures that give a glimpse of some meaning fulfilled mm-hmm. in Jesus. Right. Uh, the, the most obvious is what we've already talked about, the Lamb of God. All of those animals that were sacrificed day after day after day, uh, the writer of Hebrews tells us they couldn't actually atone for anyone's sins, the death of those animals. But they were types. They were foreshadows. They were pictures of what Jesus, the true Lamb of God, would do. And he could take our sin upon him and die on our behalf. So a type is a, uh, a, a picture of something that's called the antitype. Jesus is the antitype, the fulfillment of the type. Here in Romans 5.14, Adam is called a type of him who was to come. So in this sense, Adam previews and prefigures the one who was to come, which is Jesus. Uh, so Adam was a type of Christ in this context as he represented all who are in Adam. That's the point he's going to go on to make. All who are in Adam suffer Adam's consequences. All who are in Christ suffer his consequences, or suffer is not the right word. They, they receive the consequences of, uh, of Christ. So his point about the law in 12 through 14 here is the law didn't exist, that is the Mosaic law, so nobody was guilty of breaking it, and yet everybody before the law died. The only explanation that makes biblical and rational sense is God held them guilty of sin, even sin they hadn't committed. Well, what's the conclusion? We're guilty in Adam's sin. Does that, does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. So Adam's sin was your sin. Adam's sin was my sin. Uh, when he ate the fruit, Josh and Doug were condemned because we were in Adam and he represented us just like Congress representing the uh, United States citizens and declaring war. So what do you say when people say that's not fair? Well, I would go A to, uh, it's always Romans 9 is the answer. Who are you to talk back to God? This was God's plan and design. But I also would say, if you keep reading, as you ha- you kind of touched on it, the answer is given. Through one man comes sin, but because of that, one man can atone for us. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. how is that fair? That one exactly. man has to take on the sins of the world. Yeah, if you're going to say it's not fair for us to be judged guilty in Adam, Mm -hmm. then it's equally unfair for us to be judged righteous in Jesus. And now we stand on our own works and our own merits, and we're all going to be condemned. So uh, we always got to be careful about jumping to the fairness idea. We don't want fair. I think it was R.C. Sproul that uh, so passionately and famously said, the last thing you ever want from God is absolute fairness because we will all be condemned. Mm. So, So back to verse 15 then, continuing on. And, and I love this because this, this whole discussion thus far has been about death and sin and the negative consequences, but that is not really what Paul is stressing. He's stressing something very positive. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the transgression. What do you mean, Paul? For if by the transgression of the one, that's Adam, the many died, that's all of us, all humanity, much more. Much more. This whole passage is a much more passage. He does not want us to stop with the death and sin of Adam and our death and sin. He wants us to get to the gospel. Much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. I stress that because I hear preachers preach on this and theologians, as we, as we talk about the, the doctrine of original sin, and this is, you know, the key passage to go back to, we make it all about sin and death. Yes, but Paul was not making it all about sin and death. He was making it all about grace abounding and righteousness and life and all of that. Can I ask a sub question here? Uh, maybe this will be another time to, again, I bring up topics like, let's deal with that later, which I appreciate. Um, 
But when it says Jesus Christ overflowed to the many, uh, verse 15, the end of verse 15, uh, the grace of the man, Jesus Christ overflowed to the many. Is this an argument for limited atonement? The word many being used there. The same way Hebrews 10 could be an argument for limited atonement. Um, Mark 8 came to give himself as a ransom for many. So is that a possibility? That's not Mark 8. Is that Mark 10? Mark 10. But is that is this a place to go to for a limited atonement argument or that isn't anywhere sniffing this like John 3:16, or if you're pre isn't a place to go, like start preaching the doctrines of grace just because, you know, whosoever believes. Right. Yeah, that is a big question. Maybe we should walk through Tulip sometime. Um, limited atonement is such an awful term. I know we discussed just that before. Awful. But, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, just <laughs> so awful. Um, the question is, did Jesus actually atone for the sins of every human being? If that's true, then we have to be universalists. Uh, that's the only conclusion. If he truly atoned for every person's sin, if he atoned for Hitler's sin, then Hitler can't be in hell because his sins were paid for. Uh, and that's presuming presuming that Hitler did not have a deathbed confession, which I have no reason to think he did, but I always right. feel like I have to throw that qualification in there. Um so it's what we're really asking is, did Jesus pay the price for every human person? And the answer is no. People who do not believe the gospel will die in their sins and therefore did not receive his grace and the work of the cross did not benefit them. So uh, I would say this, uh, this is not completely out of place in the conversation about limited atonement, but that's not his main point right. for okay. sure. Appreciate that. Yeah. Just wanted to clarify there. Then he makes a similar uh, argument or point in verse 16. The gift, God's gift to us, is not like that which came through the one who sinned. Again, he's, he's making a huge dichotomy. Uh, there was something that happened through the one that sinned. The gift that God gives is not like that. For, on the one hand, judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But this is how not like the gift is. On the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. So all it took was one sin, one breaking of God's command from Adam, and all of us are condemned. But think about how many gazillions of transgressions Jesus took on himself that brought justification. It's not worthy to be compared. One little sin. One little eating of a fruit or abdication to his wife and then eating the fruit. One little thing and we're all condemned. But Jesus took all of your sins, Josh, all of my sins, every believer who's listening to this, everyone. And there's, we can't count that high how many sins there are. And all of those sins poured on his back, bringing justification to all of us who believe. Yeah. And just the idea of, again, this is where... God is bigger than all of us to understand and comprehend and don't even try and wrap your head around it. But the thought of in like three hours, Jesus taking on everyone who comes to faith in him, sin an eternity of wrath and punishment in three hours. Yes. The cross was an excruciating death. That's where we get the word excruciating from, but the physical death is nothing compared to, to the torment and the cup that was poured out. That's what he was praying about. Yes, the human side of him was probably concerned about the, but the knowing the wrath that was coming, it was eternity of it for all of us in three hours. Hmm. Like, does that not just, yeah, I don't know. It makes you emotional. It makes you just fathom his grace and mercy. And then you're just thankful for the cross. I think that's why we always say, come back to the cross. Remember what was paid for there. Because if you put it in that perspective, like it's, if you're struggling, I think this is a good application point. If you're struggling with something or there's a sin that bothers you, just remember before you commit to it or you think about it or you want to go do it, that sin was paid for. Hmm. Don't go do it. Hmm. So anyway, just one. No, it. that's, no, no, that, that's exactly the point he's trying to stress here. Uh, and that's why I said, don't make this a downer. Don't make this about uh, just the death and, mm -hmm. and condemnation. Uh, you know, I've talked to people, you probably have too, who say, I, I just have a hard time believing, I have a hard time feeling like God loves me. And you got to take him to the cross at that point. Like, 
Okay. John says it, right? This is how we know. How do we know that God loves us? It's not because I feel like it. I don't always feel like it. You don't always feel like it. He doesn't say look inside and, and you'll just be convinced in your heart that he loves you. No, he says, this is how we know that he loves us. He gave his son. He put his son on the cross to experience what you just described, uh, which none of us can fathom. I mean, think about hell is what we deserve, and that's what he took for us. And as you said, it was condensed in a, in a, in a short period of time. Have you seen The, the Passion of the Christ? The, uh, I Mel Gibson? have. It's probably been 10 or 12 years. I think it was one of those things where uh, you watch it, and uh, you're like, I don't know if I can watch that again. Um, you know, I, I actually agreed with someone that it's probably wrong, but you almost become a little numb to the to the violence and the pain and torture that our Lord took on because it's just so over and over again. Absolutely. I, I was numb. I went with a buddy of mine and we came out. We didn't, you know, didn't say anything the whole movie and we drove all the way home together. Uh, he dropped me off and we didn't say a word in the car and I walked in and my wife said, so how was it? And I, I just couldn't talk. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, there's some Catholic doctrine that slipped in there and inaccuracies and that kind of thing. But a lot of it was pretty graphically accurate. And there's the one scene I will, I'll never get out of my head. Uh, it gives me chills to think about it. As the soldiers are whipping him, and they're taking turns. There's two of them, one on each side, and they're just whipping and whipping and whipping. The scene cuts away and then comes back, and they are bent over on their knees, breathing heavy and just exhausted from whipping him. And they weren't done. And, and that just uh, that stuck with me, that, that imagery. And same thing. It's like, okay, I just didn't have a clear enough grasp of what it was like for him to be beaten with the 39 lashes and then dragged down the street and hung up on the cross. And we look at that as, as human beings, as men, and it's, we, we can relate to some degree to physical pain, not that kind of pain, but we can relate to physical pain and imagine maybe what it was like to suffer that. But as you just said, that was actually the lesser of mm-hmm. the two tortures, torments that he experienced. And to think that he did that so that we could yeah. be justified is mm. just glorious, just glorious. Yeah. So as we get through this section here with, with the law, so if you want to kind of sum up, we're going through Romans 5, we're trying to deal with what law was going on there because Paul clearly states the law of Moses wasn't in place until Moses came, but there's no sin without law. So what does that mean? That's kind of what we're dealing with. What law then, because we don't see anything given. We know that Abel makes a sacrifice to the Lord. That isn't mentioned, right? Like, hey, you need to do this for me. And God found that sacrifice pleasing. So how do we equate that? And is that why you think some of our covenant brothers want to go, well, that's clearly mentioned in the Torah. So that is God's plan. That law was always going to be in place. Yeah, the the Covenant Brothers start with the assumption that the Ten Commandments are the eternal moral law of God. Therefore, Adam and Abel and Cain and everybody else had to be under that law. Uh, and that's just an, an assumption that is not in the, in the Scripture anywhere. Um, clearly, Abel knew that God wanted sacrifice. Uh, so probably, my guess, and, and we, we have to admit there's speculation. We're not given all this information. Right. But remember, before the fall... Adam and Eve walked in fellowship with God. We don't know how long. We don't know how, if that was, that could have been years, could have been decades, could have been a long time. Who knows? Um, And God taught Adam a lot, apparently. So it's very possible in my mind that God, as he fellowshiped with Adam and Eve, said, I want you to bring offerings and sacrifices to me. At that point, I guess it would have just been plants um, because there was no death yet. And so that Adam and Eve taught their children. To, uh, to bring their first fruits to the Lord. Um, after the sin, of course, there is death. And, and so now as a, as a herder of sheep and such, then Cain would bring his, or Abel would bring his, uh, his offerings that way. But 
those are gifts, those are offerings, those are expectations laid out by God, apparently, but there's no written law to be violated at that point. Okay, and then the argument you will get pushed back from covenant people, because I believe this ties in with, and this is the argument we're trying to make, is, well, how was it a sin for a pagan or a Gentile, if you will, to commit adultery? And if so, then therefore, thou shalt not commit adultery is the eternal moral law of God when it comes to adultery. Correct? That's an argument we will hear. Yes. And because they weren't under that law, right? They didn't know that law, but it was still a sin for them to commit adultery. Right. Exactly. Um, the Babylonians did not have the Ten Commandments. Um, the any of the people groups prior to the to Israel did not have the Ten Commandments. So, what law were they under? Well, in Romans nine, in fact, here I can I can pull it up for us. Um, in Romans nine, Paul lay. I'm sorry, First Corinthians nine. <laughs> Romans 9 is kind of the default for everything, but it's not where we need to go here. First uh, Corinthians 9, where Paul is saying, you know, I became all things to all men, so that by all means I might save some. Here's what he says. For though I am free of all men, this is First uh, Corinthians 9, 19. For though I am free from all men, meaning I'm not enslaved, I'm not, uh, no, man has, no man has the right to uh, order me around. I'm a slave to Jesus only. I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. That's his desire is to win people to Christ. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. Isn't that a fascinating statement? Mm-hmm. Who, who's writing this? The Jew the of Jewish Jews. Man. Yeah, yeah. He, he described himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees. He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew. He's not considering himself a Jew any longer. I find that fascinating. Why did you become like a Jew? So that I might win Jews. Now he gives us a parallel expression to show what he means by to the Jews or becoming like Jews. To those under the law, I became as under the law, though not being myself under the law. Again, here's a Pharisee of Pharisees, circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, all the things he says in Philippians. And he says, I am not under the law. And he gives no qualifications. He doesn't say I'm not under the ceremonial law, I'm not under the civil law, but I am under the moral law, nothing. No, he's saying I'm not under the law, but I acted like I was so that I might win those who are under the law. Verse 21, to those who are without law, that would be Gentiles, as those without law. And here's getting to your question. Though not being without the law of God, mm-hmm. but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. So in these two verses, there are three laws. There's the law that the Jew was under, what we call the law of Moses. There's the law of Christ that we are under in the new covenant. And there is the law of of God. You see that in verse 21? Yes. Not without God's law, but under the law of Christ. Yes. So there is a law of God that does transcend everything, of which the law of Moses was the requirement in the Old Covenant, and the law of Christ is the requirement under the New Covenant. So if we look at, uh, well, let's just, let's just do this. Leviticus 18 Here's what he says. Uh, the Lord spoke to the Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord, your God. You shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt where you lived, nor are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan where I'm bringing you and do not walk in their statutes. And then he goes on and lists adultery, homosexuality, and every other kind of sexual perversion. He says, these are the things that Egypt did. These are the things that the Canaanites did. And then at the end of the chapter, he says, I will spew them out of the land because of these things. Uh, I'm flipping through here and he goes through all of these uh, sins. Verse 28, so that the land will not spew you out or should defile you as it spewed out the nation which has been before you. So what he's saying is, I'm going to throw out the Canaanites and the Egyptians for their sexual immorality, even though they didn't have the law. 
They didn't have the law of Moses. So there's a law of God mm-hmm. that for all people everywhere includes don't commit sexual immorality. Don't commit bestiality. Uh, don't offer sacrifices to Moloch, that kind of thing. So I don't need the law of Moses to know now that every nation is in violation of the law of God if they commit these kinds of wicked acts. Okay, good. we got we want a rabbit trail there. We need to finish up Romans five. Yep. No, it's a good rabbit trail because that's well, the question. Well, yeah, because if, those are questions that come in my mind, and then I'm I apologize. I tend to, yeah. No apology necessary. That's uh, that's yeah. helpful because that's exactly what our covenant brothers argue is mm-hmm. they're under the Ten Commandments. No, the Canaanites weren't, um, but God still said I'm going to hold you guilty for this sexual sin. All right, so. Back to chapter 5, verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one, Adam, uh, death reigned through the one, Adam, much more those who receive the abundance of grace of the gift of of righteousness will reign in life, that would be eternal life, through the one, Jesus Christ. So again, the much more. Yes, death reigned. That's a that's an ominous way to say it, isn't it? Death reigned. Death is king because of Adam's sin. But righteousness and grace will reign in eternal life through the one Jesus Christ. Is the word for uh, life there used in... Um... Verse 17, I have a note, and I want to make sure it is uh, correct. Um, You know what? It doesn't. Oh, here it is. It's pointing you to um, uh, 2 Timothy and uh, Revelation. So it is dealing with eternal life. And so, but is the word life there? This is where I do remember Greek, the word Zoe, if you will. Is that the same? life or is it using the different word for for like for eternal life there in that process uh zoe is the word that is used for eternal life and that is the word here yes okay yes Yes. okay just making sure for anybody 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 i'm back don't worry still here (laughs) what happened Little blip there. It said uh, poor connection. Oh, well, all right. We're 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 back. Yeah. All right. So all right. verse eighteen. Then he comes back and finishes the comparison that he started in verse twelve. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men. Through one transgression, Adam eating of that fruit of that tree, all men are condemned. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. Now, this is where we got into a little debate, and someone commented and asked a question last week. Uh, Chris Fales and I went through this. I know you and Jeff Volker are on one side, and and uh, I tend to be on the other side of what is this act of righteousness? Is this his whole life of staying Sidebar. under the law? I am not. I don't know where I stand on the active <laughs> obedience. I really don't. I've heard arguments, and they both make sense. But nevertheless, yes, um, there are those who will argue that one act of righteousness is only talking about the cross and the blood of Jesus. That's it, because there's no verse to say, I need Jesus's perfect life imputed to me. He had to be perfect to fulfill all the prophecies and be the clean sacrifice, etc. But there's no verse that says, his perfect law keeping, because I as a Gentile was not under the law. So what law keeping was imputed to me? That kind of thing. That's the argument they make. Just saying. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll make I'll make sure that Jeff knows that you're non-committal. Um, I'm yeah. And and at the end of the day, it's an intermural debate. Uh, I don't think we need to make a uh, you know a divisive issue out of this, but it, it's a worthwhile question: Is this act of righteousness that brings us justification? Is that just the cross, or is it his whole life of obedience? Either way, the comparison stands: one transgression, one act of righteousness. Verse nineteen: For as through the one man's disobedience, again that's Adam, the many were made sinners, or probably better were 
regarded as sinners, constituted sinners. Even so, finishing the comparison now, through the obedience of the one, that's the obedience of Christ, the many will be made righteous. We are righteous because of Jesus and his actions, not because of our own. Yeah. That's the gospel. That's the, that's the foundation of the gospel. That's, that's why you and I, when we put our faith in Jesus, why we are forgiven. It's because God put Jesus's righteousness to our account and he doesn't see our sin. He sees Jesus's righteousness. And we so did the, a podcast real quick on confronting people in their sin or how do you share the gospel? Is the law hmm. necessary to do it? It could be in the flow of the conversation, but it doesn't always have to be. And there are plenty of examples in Scripture of that, including the thief on the cross. Jesus didn't go, I need to show you your sin before you're with me in paradise today. No, he just said, come on. So like hmm. there are examples in the in the Bible of people who were saved without being 100% confronted with the law. Doesn't mean you don't go there. Like if someone comes up like, you're committing adultery. I don't want to do this anymore. Well, you can confront them in their sin, point them to Christ, etc. But if you look at Peter's first sermon too in Acts, there's actually no law mentioned there. So there's not necessarily a time where it always has to be show them the law, you know, get them condemned before you can get them saved. Correct? No, I would disagree. I would disagree. Now, we don't believe that you have to give them the Ten Commandments as the law. Right. But the thief on the cross, why was he calling out for mercy? Because he had just admitted to his buddy, you know, we, we deserve what we're getting here. He knew he was a sinner. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying he, Jesus didn't go through and he's like, Lord, please forgive me for sin X, sin B, sin D, or whatever. He recognized his sin through clearly this Holy Spirit. And so, and that can cause conversations in people. So yes, you have sinned. You need to know what sin is. But I'm saying you don't have to confront them specifically with, this is why we say you don't have to confront them with the Ten Commandments to get them hmm. condemned. Does that make sense? Not the Ten Commandments, but yes, right. they need to know specific sins they've committed. And mm -hmm. I would say Peter in the first sermon convicted them of crucifying the Messiah which is the greatest sin of all. So, um, so he did call them out on their sin and say, you need a savior. That's why they cried out, what can we do to be saved? You're telling us we just crucified the Messiah and we are not his enemy. Is there any hope for us? Okay, but what the pushback be, this is, be, this is where I'm coming from, is uh, he doesn't go through and break down law, law, law is my argument there, right? Yes. He lays out the gospel. And the gospel is also the cross. So in presenting the gospel to someone, you're going to present the cross. You're going to present sin, propitiation, uh, penal substitution, etc. Right? Maybe so without using those $7 words. Right, yeah. Yeah. But I wanted to yeah. sound smart for a second. <laughs> you, people have to understand the need for forgiveness. They have to understand why they need the cross. And the only way you can explain that is to say you have failed to please God. So whatever means, and, and I mean, the, the laws are, are numerous. Just stick mm -hmm. with love the Lord and love your neighbor as yourself, right? Everybody's guilty of breaking both of those. Um, they need to understand yep. that and that God is angry at them for their sin without going through every sin listed or even every sin they've committed. If you just get the person to understand, yeah, I have disobeyed God, now they can hear the gospel and, and okay. receive it. So in anticipation of uh, where we're going to go in the next week or two, depending on uh, how far we get next week, mm -hmm. the, the question that would be asked then of Paul making this argument, okay, you said the law did not come in for a long time, and yet death reigned that, in that whole period. What was the point of the law? We didn't need the law to condemn anybody. We didn't need the law. We didn't, God could have never given the Ten Commandments to Moses, and still everybody would be guilty because right. Adam sinned. So if you're a Jewish man in this congregation in Rome listening to Paul's argument and listening as the guy is reading Romans, you're saying, whoa, 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 whoa. If we don't have the law of Moses, we don't need the law of Moses to condemn anybody because we're all condemned to Adam, then I don't get it. What's the point of the law? That's what he answers in, in verse 20. And it's pretty shocking. The law came in 
so that the transgression would increase. Now, I stress that because he's not saying the law came in so the transgression would decrease. All right, here's all the rules I want you to keep, so I want you to stop sinning. Obviously, at one level, that is what God wanted. Mm -hmm. But here in the flow of history, Paul is saying the law came in so the Jews would commit more sin. It was to condemn them. It was given so that they would be driven to Christ. It's the same argument he makes in Galatians 3. He want, the God wanted the Jews to be driven to forgiveness in the Messiah. It didn't work. Most of them were self-righteous. They took great pride in having the law, but that was its design in history. And once again, Paul does not leave in the negative here, but where sin increased, as Jews sinned like crazy under the law, grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He brings that to you and me and everybody else. Death is not the final king. Righteousness and eternal life are the final king because of King Jesus. And we will we'll pick that up next week. And uh, also, if you want to go through a class on Romans, the New Covenant School of Theology does one um, semi-regularly. Uh, so as you take the classes, you can sign up on um, newcovenantschooltheology.org. I just went through it. It was good. And as we will get into, you will get the view. You'll get all the views of Romans 7, but you'll get the view that uh, we believe is correct, and, and we will we will get to that. Uh, Doug, I did want to mention, you mentioned Jeff Volker, and uh, we love Jeff. We're thankful for his teaching. I believe it's IDS.org. You can go there. Uh, Jeff's wife, Priscilla, of 47 years, passed away this past weekend, mm -hmm. and she was just a wonderful uh, woman of the Lord. Um, I know pastors say this to people who are thinking about going to the pastor. Your wife isn't, doesn't need to take on a role. She isn't special, doesn't have any office. There's nothing like that. But it kind of seems to me that pastor's wives just naturally step up and lead well and comfort younger women and train them mm. and are there for marriage and counseling for people who sit down. And Priscilla is one of those people. So I just work the church in Phoenix, New Covenant Bible Fellowship is going to miss her. And we just mm. ask for people to pray for Jeff during this time because 47 years he called her his rib, R.I.B., mm. his rib. And so just uh, be with uh, we just ask you would pray for Jeff and the church family up there. So. Amen. Amen. Yeah, heart goes out to them. And I can't imagine, but uh, he'll, he'll look to the Lord. And uh, I'm sure he'll, he knows as a pastor, he said this to other people many times, she wouldn't trade places for anything. She wouldn't come back. But mm -mm. Uh, sorrow is sorrow. Mourning is mourning. So we, uh, we will pray for him and uh, heart goes out to him. Yeah. Mourn with, and we mourn with hope. That's the joy, right? It's mourning. You're supposed to mourn. Christians, we are to mourn death. And as uh, D.A. Carson famously said, death is the final enemy, but it doesn't have the final word. Hmm. And so we are, we are thankful uh, for that. Uh, please, if you're watching, to somehow smash out of that little emotional statement, YouTube, subscribe, <laughs> turn on the notifications bell. Doug will be back tomorrow morning, correct, with a Bible study on uh, set your notifications on, going through Ecclesiastes. And uh, go back and listen. I've listened to a few of them as I work in the garage. So, you know, just have it on in the background. You pick up more than, you know, just like a child. Randomly, you think they're not paying attention in a sermon. The next thing you know, they're asking you, like, wait a minute. I'm a sinner? Like, yeah, it it, it works. So, uh, Doug, uh, but all this, including we're thankful for what Priscilla's life was, for Jeff's, for yours, for anyone who's in Christ. We want your goal to be what? To be intentionally Christ-obsessed in all things.